Welcome to Brands Made Meaningful, conversations with the team at Susner about how purposeful branding inspires unity, identity, and powerful change for growth-minded organizations. Eric, today we're talking about what your brand could stand for and what that means and why that even matters in the first place. Yeah, we talk about what do you think your brand stands for? What do you feel your brand should stand for? And how does that align with what your clients and what your customers need you to be all about? This conversation really was catapulted into place here by a blog post that was recently sent out by Seth Godin. And it was fantastic for us. And I'm not going to read it in in its entirety, but it really got under this mindset of, are you trying to get people to want what you want? Or are you trying to get them what they want that also helps you get what you want? And there's this difference between where do they sit in the front seat and you're in the back seat, or are you in the front seat and they're in the back seat? And I think yeah. for us, it was really about this brand stance is a great opportunity for you to say, who's the most important person in our story? Any, if anybody's tuned into previous uh, conversations that we've had, we talk about the taking this the position of being the hero in your story or being the guide in your story. And this is just a, in, in many ways, a continuation of that. You know, a lot of so many businesses start by taking the thing that they're good at, that what this individual person who starts a business is skilled at, and then start, starts a business and hopes that people show up versus identifying an opportunity of identifying a need and a want, and then positioning that business and its opportunity to actually serve those customers. And they're there's a there's a nuance that's a little different there, but one of those two approaches in figuring out what your brand is, what its stance is, is way more effective than the other. So for those who are not familiar with this kind of work or this conversation, or maybe even just this theory in general, let me back up. So in today's super competitive brand world that we live in, the brands are constantly seeking new ways to stand out from people. They're looking at ways that they can feel different, sound different, can connect with people on a whole new level. And one approach that's been increasingly popular has been to embrace a really strong stance in your brand. And what do we mean by stance? We mean that this could be something like a mindset, such as perseverance, or it could be a movement such as social justice or maybe sustainability. But those stances can really help define your brand from a core level and can increasingly, it can make branding increasingly easier, not only for organizations like us who help you with your brand, but also for your own team to make branded decisions, to hire the right people based on what they believe and what they like, to be able to, you know, R&D products that make sense with what you stand for and all these other things. And I think defining this has so many great levels of impact that people just aren't utilizing. The the Seth Godin quote that drove it home for us, which was which is such a nice way of saying it, is that there's a really big difference between what you want to stand for and what your 
audience believes you should stand for. Um, and in a perfect world, there's an alignment there where those two are the same or similar. The problem often happens when there's a big disconnect. I was in a meeting last week talking about this same subject with one of our clients and they flat out asked, what are we allowed to stand for? What do we have mm -hmm. the right to stand for? And that was super powerful to me to say they understand that not every stance is available to them. With their audience, they might not be able to stand for certain things because their audience doesn't believe it, or maybe their audience doesn't care about it. And that can really make a difference in how you approach this type of work. We, we have a, well, the name of the podcast is Brands Made Meaningful. And we talk about meaningful and intentional and purposeful, I think, another synonym there um, that's come up now is this word authenticity or relevance. And so today's conversation is around landing on a brand stance that does make sense within your own organization, but is also, but it has to be relevant to your audience. You have to believe it. It has to be relevant to you. So you have to believe it, own it, live it. And I think if you created something that was so aspirational or so detached from who you really are just because you thought that that would attract your audience, you'll never be able to fulfill on that either. You know, we had a conversation on a podcast not too long ago, actually, that was all about should you listen or should you lead your customers and how does that work and what's the balance that you find? And this, this topic has that same kind of those notes of how much do you listen to people? How much do you care about what they care about versus sitting back and saying, well, we care a lot about this. And if our audience doesn't care as much, then we either need to figure out if they're the right audience for us or if we're um, going down the wrong path. So it's really important to listen to your customers and they will tell you what you have the right to stand for. But it's super important to your point, Derek. Like, what do you guys actually care about? What What's really important to you? Why do you do this every day? You could be doing anything. And I think that when you figure out why why you exist and why that even matters, that can really help you understand what stance you need to take. So let's start with, we don't have to go too deep into positioning because I think we've had a separate positioning conversation, but positioning at its core helps you define who your audience is. And so a lot of people, we're working with a client right now who you know, after a couple of meetings and a table around a table where the leadership team got into some arguments, maybe too strong of a word, but had some different conversations about what their stance could be or should be. And in, in kind of helping them facilitate that, that conversation, what we actually got to was a disagreement of who their actual client was. So, mm -hmm. you know, without knowing who it is that that you're actually serving or selling to, uh, it's really, I would say it's basically impossible to say, if we don't know what we stand for and we don't know who we do it for, then we're either nothing to nobody or we're everything to everybody. And that's not going to help us stand out if that's ultimately what part of this goal is. Yeah. When we think, when I think of positioning, there's the three things. And I'd like you said, I could probably talk all day about positioning, but I'm not going to. And the three things that are really focused is who do you serve? What do, what do you mean to them? And why should they care about that? And this kind of all gets wrapped up into 
well, what do we stand for? Well, it for sure matters who we're talking to. And I, I think a lot of people would go, well, we have a lot of audiences. And yep, that's absolutely true. But who is your primary audience? And who are the people that you care the most about? Who are your avid fans? Who are the people who are with you in thick and thin and that you care about? What is that 80-20 rule to say 20% 20, 20 of our audience makes up 80% of our business? Who is that 20? And what do we really care about? And what do they really care about? So how can we find the common ground there? That's where I would start when I look at any of this stuff to say, what's the common ground? What do we really resonate with each other on? And why do they get us and we get them? And there's there's got to be something there if you've worked with them long enough to really get it. So if, if you have a pretty good sense of who your customers are, how do you find out what they really want from you? That's That goes above and beyond the one that we may kind of pick on all the time, which is customer service. So let's assume they want great customer service. How else do we know what our customers want from us? Well, it starts with research, right? If that's qualitative, quantitative, and we have a whole conversation about research as well. But if you're not doing that research to say, and asking the hard questions to say, okay, what do you want from us? What do you buy from us? Straight up. And then after that, it goes, well, what does that get you? And why do you even care about that? Whereas you could buy that from anybody else. So think of professional sports. You watch this baseball team versus this football team. Well, why do you watch baseball? And what do you get from that that you're not getting from football? And what is this? If you dig into some of those things, you can find the true emotional drivers. And that's those emotional drivers are really going to help us in this storytelling element. Whereas sometimes there are practical drivers. There are some of those realistic, like, well, I buy this because of whatever, and that's less emotional based. Those can help, but those aren't really going to be the drivers that help us find this stance. Yeah, I think I think it's really easy for us to make assumptions around what our customers want, um, especially if we cloud if we cloud that answer with what we what we want or what we individually want ourselves as human beings and put ourselves and our customers um, shoes instead of looking separately at what our customers want in, um, it may be a little bit more, um, a hard light and asking them, I mean, it seems like common sense, but finding a way to ask your customers what they want can be incredibly enlightening. The one example you were talking about, we're doing some work with the Minnesota Vikings. And one of the things that's very top of mind for everybody right now around football, not just professional football, but all levels of football is the, the violence, the danger, the, the potential for injury. And, and is that something that's deterring the fans, the, the current fans and the future fans or not? Um, and I think that one of the assumptions that we had as a team going into this project was that that level of aggressiveness isn't is not what they want and is something that the Vikings or all professional sports, specifically in football, needed to find a new way to think about. And in part of the surveying that we did of the customers of the fan base of the Vikings, actually, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that level of aggressiveness came in as one of their top three things that they actually love the most about professional football. Yeah. I mean, you think of it as you're totally right. Uh, we went in with the mindset of, well, we heard in the qualitative side that some of the interviews, people were like, I don't want football because of this, the danger and all these other things. But yeah, when the quantitative research came back and said, yep, 
never mind. That's not true. People love it. That's <laughs> that's the reason why they watch is the danger and the aggression actually makes them more intrigued in the game. And to me, that points out to say we had thought it might be a weakness, but it turns out to be a kind of a core part of their value proposition to regional fans to say, hey, what you don't get in basketball and what you don't get in baseball is the aggressiveness and the danger that comes along with playing the game and whether or not that works in every market is a different question. But in this market, in the market that we're talking about, it absolutely does. So some of those things you can assume all you want and you can have a belief all you want, but the most dangerous thing you can do as a leadership team is to have an assumption based on something that you've heard or something that maybe your friend has said to you and not actually validate that within your market because that's that's not always the case and you'd be surprised what you get back. Why why does this whole topic even matter? Why story stance essence position why 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 do we keep talking about this? Why do we I feel like we we beat this drum um on many many levels in a lot of the conversations that we have both in this podcast and, and actually with customers, but why does this matter? Why is this so important? It's all about connection to me. It's all about creating more connection points with audiences. The The way that we're moving forward is that attention is a really big part of, I mean, think about the attention economy. I mean, people literally pay for t- attention all the time. And as we keep going, this is just another element, um, just another layer that can be added on to stay why you should care about us. And I think that's that big question around caring that not all brands can answer. And if you have a great stance that everyone else cares about, that can really, really help you when you say, why should you care about Patagonia? Because we're not only a clothing company that makes great clothes, but we're a clothing company that's trying to save the world from you know, X, Y, and Z. That makes a big difference for the people that buy from you. And it creates those avid fans that are willing to not only buy from you, but also tell their friends about you, tell other people that have that same mindset about you. This just creates a whole nother level of inspiration that you can create um, that can help you message properly, that can help you really stand out against other people because you're willing to stand for something, whereas competitors are not. It gives people a reason to choose you over everybody else. If you know, in in the challenge that all businesses have of standing out, standing apart, and especially you know, in in the trifecta that you outlined of what does that mean and what what are the levels and the components of that, the whole why somebody should care is in many ways what branding and the whole initiative of taking care of your brand is what it's all about, is giving people a reason to help them understand why you do what you do, to get beyond all these kind of boilerplate entry-level things that we default to, like features and benefits or customer service. The other thing that, the other reason that this is so important is it pivots to your team and your people. Um, It doesn't just give your customers a reason to choose you, but if you are able to understand and clarify what it is that your brand stands on. It gives your team and the people that you're trying to attract to be part of your team, um, it gives them a reason to choose you too. And especially, you know, today finding and keeping your talent is a, is a very, very 
it's always important, but today it's really important. It's the foundation of literally um, the cornerstone of your culture too. Let's talk a little bit as we keep moving this conversation forward. What are some of the things that really stand out to you? And I can have, I have some as well, but what are the things that stand out to you as red flags, as things that go, oh, that could, you could be, have a better stance, or maybe you don't have a stance. And this is like what I'm seeing that's really making it clear that you don't have a stance. Um, the one that jumps to mind, the one that I tend to see the most in at the beginning of these conversations with our customers is that the customer wants their brand or themselves to be the hero and the lead in this story. And instead of thinking about what they do in terms of what other people actually want or get with respect to what you do, starting with yourself first is the biggest problem. And and I'm not criticizing in, in a sense. I think it's very easy for us to default that way. I think a lot of us are just sort of trained and come up that way not differentiating what you want from your own personal self versus what your clients want and making sure that there's alignment there. That's a big miss. The one thing that stands out to me the most when we're having new business conversations or discovery areas of our work is when a brand lacks a lot of emotion. As someone would say, good old American emotion getting in the way all the time. But when we look at a lot of the brands that we're dealing with, say it's even in sporting goods, there's a challenge to just drive home all of the little features and benefits. And we had a whole conversation around features and benefits before. But when you see features and benefits just plastered all over a homepage or maybe even the front end of a brochure or something like that, it really screams out that you don't stand for anything other than you stand for product. You stand for you stand for quality product, which is okay in some in some ways, but that it's really hard to differentiate yourself if your competitors are also saying the same thing. So that's the one thing that I would say really is something I see all the time when we're having conversations. Yeah, when when you lead or sell or differentiate on your products or on your services, or even worse, on the features and benefits or on customer service you're not differentiating at all. You might think you are. You, you you may be putting a lot of work into it and really hone in on those pieces. Um, and a lot of those, your features and benefits are, like we said in that previous podcast, they're incredibly important. But when it comes to differentiating you and your brand and going back to giving people a reason why that approach is a problem, not a solution. And it can become incredibly frustrating, especially if you're a sales leader or you're a leader within an organization that has a great product, but you just can't seem to get over a hump and you keep adding new products and you keep doing certain things and that's great. But it can be really frustrating when you can't differentiate yourself, even though you're trying really hard with your products. And this emotional piece, I think, is a common denominator across some of the super successful brands we've worked with and some of the ones that need the most help is that they don't understand the emotional plug that they're trying to give to their customers. So when we, as we shift to how can we, how can people find the right stance, one that's right for them and one that serves their customer, you and I had an offline conversation that led up to this. And, and I'm going to let you introduce this because how we landed here or what we landed on 
for how people can solve these was actually really interesting. And I love the way this is going, but this caught me a little bit off guard and it's, it's actually helping me think about this, um, in another light. Yeah. I think what you're referring to is what we're, and I'm not going to talk about like, how do you build a stance today? That's not how we're going to go about it. What I'm going to say is how can you start thinking about it? And there's two components that I think make a really great brand stance. And one is being really authentic. And there's a lot that goes into that. And I'll define it in a second. The second one's being vulnerable. And that's one that I think probably is the one that took you off guard a little bit, is this idea that we have to be vulnerable to who we are. So let me define both of those really quick. One, authentic. Authenticity is really referring to the quality of being genuine, true, trustworthy, When a brand's authentic, it means that it's not just focused on making a profit, but it's also building that real relationship and what they care about. Like we care more about this than we do necessarily about making a profit all the time. Side note, we know profit's really important. Okay, then those brands who are really authentic, they're open, they're audience, they're they're all about who they are and they can communicate what they stand for in a way that feels like they truly, truly believe in it vulnerability on the other hand is about being open and transparent about one's shortcomings and challenges so a vulnerable brand will be willing to admit when they've made a mistake and they're not afraid to show the human side of their company and by human side i don't mean let's just share all the people on our team and say hey this is stacy she's from connecticut and she does this like get to know stacy it's more of like how do we become a human-oriented brand? As in, how do we admit that we're not perfect? This type of authenticity or vulnerability helps to build that trust with someone who can really show that we're not better than anybody else. We make mistakes too. And we're going to try our best and we have all these values around us. But some of the big mistakes that I see is that people aren't willing to admit when they aren't the best in the marketplace. Vulnerability, I think, has just been added to our queue as an entire podcast conversation in the future. Because I think it's it it speaks to this brand stance and branding and your brand and your culture on on many, many levels. I've come at this in the past through the word empathy rather than yeah. vulnerability. But empathy is more about understanding your clients and putting your clients, your customers or the other person and seeing them in a vulnerable light, there's the, by pivoting the vulnerability back to you, um, some people have a really hard time being vulnerable. And I think the best learnings that we get that come out of any discovery conversation that we have with a client or a customer is when that client becomes vulnerable. And if we're not vulnerable with them when they are, then we miss that opportunity to build that trust. And I think at the heart of trust is vulnerability. Just think about friends that you have in your personal lives. The best friends that you have are the friends that you can be and have been vulnerable with. And where it's 50-50, it's a sharing piece. It's not all one-sided. It's not all just talking or all listening. And by applying that vulnerability to how you can then establish your brand stance, I think is, is incredibly insightful. When I'm talking about vulnerability, and I think some people probably go here right away is like, so should we just admit when we're like, when we're terrible at something? 
And that might not be the right approach. And even if you start with vulnerability internally in a, a workshop or something like that to say, what should we stand for? What is all this other stuff? If you have a good product, but you're not absolutely sure that it's the best product on the market, it's really hard to say we're best in class. We're the best. We're the best out there. Because unless you have validation from somebody, that might not be the right approach to take. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean to say that you have to tell everyone that your product is terrible. Um, but it's just to start thinking about the ways that you can introduce vulnerability within your brand. Start slow, I would say, because um, it's quite the difficult thing to pull off in a really masterful way. But what I will well, say is the benefits from those are fantastic. So like, why is this all important? You're going to build trust. You're going to have loyalty increase. You're going to create a deeper emotional connection that allows people to see the side of you that you didn't, that they probably didn't anticipate to see. There's going to have a positive example out there to say, we're not always the best and showing people that it's okay to fail is really important. And then it also differentiates you because think about what we're what we've been talking about. This is an uh, approach that a lot of companies will take. So this will probably allow you to, you know, stand out from the people who are just saying like we are the best. That is what it is. Yeah, and to your point, being vulnerable isn't about setting yourself up to look weak or lacking competence. It's just, I think, the most confident people and the most confident brands are the ones that also either admit what their own shortcomings are or they're able better than others to learn from what those shortcomings are mistakes are it's not even unlike just looking at your own scorecard within your business and seeing where the issues are and then going after those issues and attacking those issues and making them and turning them um, into strengths you know if i tie this back to a golf analogy, which is what I tie everything to. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's figuring out um, where you have the opportunity and then going after that instead of just practicing over and over and over the things that you're already really good at. Let's end this. Let's wrap this up. Takeaways. What should, what should, what do you think the overall takeaway is from this conversation? You know, this is uh, the whole conversation is a working on your business um, aspect, um, which I really like. And I think taking a hard look at who you think you are alongside who your customers need you to be or want you to be, and to look at the answers to those and to see where there's alignment or where there's an opportunity to strengthen that answer is a, is a really I'm making it sound like it's easier than it is. It's a tough exercise, but I think it's one that will reset the, the trajectory of your business. I think this would be or should be a component of you know an annual strategic planning session where you're not just looking at vision and values and culture, but you're trying to then get to that point of what your brand really stands for. For me, this conversation all about get to know your audiences, Get to know yourselves and understand in what ways can you build a really concise story component that allows you to tell that in a quick hit way to say, yep, we stand for this. And here are all the reasons why. And 
it might not be a super in, uh, easy process. Like you're saying, this is, it sounds way easier than it is because when you actually start building out the stances that you could have, there are risks and rewards. There are things you have to sacrifice because you can't be everything to everybody. That's just not how it works. But when you get it right, and we've had clients that get it right uh, and use it right, they've found incredible value return on what what this is, has said for them. And I think that when you look at what could you be as an organization, you're right. This this stance goes right alongside that vision. It goes right alongside that mission to say, yep, our mission is to do this. But what we stand for is this, and this is how this all kind of ladders down. And that's why it's a part of our own foundation workshop when we walk our clients through it, because we do believe it goes such hand in hand with the future of the organization. If you think about um, what you currently think um, people think of you, or if you think about who you want people to think you are, imagine somebody else who's maybe been able to see into the future, see down the road a little bit. And if that person starts to challenge you as to what you need to be to get where you're going, um, I think that could be a, a powerful way to exercise what your brand stance should be instead of just what maybe you want it to be. That's perfect. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Keep keep watching out. We'll have new podcasts every other every other week and uh appreciate your time until next time susner is a branding firm specializing in helping companies make a meaningful mark guiding marketing leaders who are working to make their brand communicate better stand out and engage audiences to grow their business for more on susner visit susner.com Thank you.